All right. Well, um, I want to extend my welcome to you as well. My name is Bland. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're just joining us, uh, thanks for thanks for tuning in today. Um, as as it was given earlier, would love to connect with you through our uh, website, cobrookline.org/connect. Um, and you could uh, just fill that out as much as you feel comfortable. Uh, just allows us to be able to follow up with you, but also just to encourage our folks. Um, please use that space as a place to, to share your prayer requests um, for us. Um, so uh, I did want to mention that today after the, the gathering, we're going to be doing uh, the normal Q&A. Uh, today's message is from our Life of David series, but we're going to be talking about a lot of um, uh, stuff about relationships and um, you know the, the the challenges and working through conflict in relationships and so I feel like there might be some good questions for that but you can text your questions to six one seven nine four two zero seven five three uh, so that's six one seven nine four two zero seven five three and I'll tackle those after the gathering. All right, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 26, um, and we're going to be looking at the whole chapter here in just a minute. But as I said today, we're going to be talking about relationships, and you know, relationships are a uh, a challenge, right? Um, they they are the most rewarding thing in this world, um, but they are also one of the most challenging things that we uh, can face. Um, you know. Every one of us could sit here and explain or talk about, describe uh, good relationships that we've had that have become strained or difficult, um, and even un- unreconciled relationships that we may have today. It's sometimes that the people that are closest to us can become, uh, can get on our nerves the most, and uh, at times conflict can enter and hurt happens, and it feels like somebody threw a bomb into the middle of the relationship. Um, and and sometimes we just wish, like you know, afterwards we could we could go get the black box and pull that black box out, and actually, uh, you know, like an airplane that's that's gone through a crash, you want to pull that black box and you want to be able to look and see what happened, what what. How did this actually happen? Uh, what was going on in those moments in their in their mind, in my mind, and in in between us? Uh, and so, you know, relationships are a are a challenge at best. And King David, who we're looking at, uh, we're going through this series on, had a lot of broken relationships in his lifetime. Um, we're going to see, or we've already seen, how his relationship with King Saul, the, the king that was before him, uh, was strained at best. And in fact, uh, we looked at a couple of weeks ago how Saul exhibited jealousy towards David. Um, and then in chapters even since then, we, uh, we did, we've skipped over them because of just needing to move through the series. But uh, Saul, you know, Saul has tried to kill David, even the, the jealousy one. He threw a spear at David, but now he's hunted down David. And in the past, today we find again Saul trying to kill David. Uh, God, King Saul could see David's, God's hand on David and see that he was growing in popularity and success and he became consumed with that jealousy and uh, during the encounter that we're going to see today, it is the last encounter of their life of, of Saul's lifetime. Uh, this is the last time David and Saul meet. And what we're going to see is some uh, a lot of wisdom for you and I in relationships, how to approach conflict in uh, relationships. We're going to learn about God's plan for relational conflict, that, the, that it's actually pretty simple. 
Um, it's not easy. There's a huge difference between simple and easy, right? Something can be simple in, in theory, but, but actually uh, very difficult to apply, difficult to, to live out. And that's what we're going to find here today is that God's plan is, is, is really one word, one operating mode in, in conflict type of relationships. And that is, that is the idea of mercy. Mercy. Mercy is, um, is God's entire vision for us to approach broken relationships and it gives the potential for change. We're going to uh, see that uh, today that mercy flows from us when it flows to us from God. So mercy flows from us to others when it flows to us from God. So let's look at uh, 1 Samuel 26. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Uh, it's going to take just a few minutes, but I encourage you to follow along in your own Bibles. Um, and when I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. And I invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself in the hill of Hekilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hekilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Abimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear in the ground at his head and Abner and the army lay all around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I will put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over the other side and stood far off atop, uh, the, on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you, who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your Lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the Lord, your king. He's speaking of Abishai there. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over your Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, <clears throat> why does my Lord pursue after his servant? 
For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord, the king, hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out of out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I've acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is your spear, O king. Let one of the young men come and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord. And may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went away, and Saul returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> Thanks be to God. So today the big idea is mercy received becomes mercy given. Getting mercy leads us to give mercy. Mercy, a life marked by mercy, is a life that's marked by being saturated by God's mercy to us. In this passage, we're going to see the nature of mercy, the strategy of mercy, the aim of mercy, and the source of mercy. So let's dive in. The nature of mercy here. At its base, mercy is a very simple concept, right? It's not receiving the punishment that you deserve. Mercy chooses then to not operate according to the offense, but according to another uh, 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 value, another purpose. And ultimately, mercy itself is defined by God. Uh, Tony Evans said this way, mercy is God's loving response when we ask him not to let us bear the full weight of our burdens. So it's a picture there then that mercy comes from God. Mercy is defined by God and mercy is given to us by God. When you take this then and apply it to relationships and how we are to extend mercy, uh, in their book, um, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp define mercy as the kind, sympathetic, and forgiving treatment of others that works to relieve their distress and cancel their debt. This is exactly what David's doing in this passage in relation to Saul. Uh, Saul had heard that David was hiding in the wilderness and he gathered these 3,000 men to go and to hunt down David. Um, and this, you know, in all, every sense and purpose should have put David on the defensive, should have caused him to be fearful of what was going to happen. But instead, uh, David investigates, yes, he's coming, and he goes and, and, and creates a context where, where mercy can happen. It's interesting how, um, and no, not much time to talk about this, but Saul had literally surrounded himself with yes men, right? These were his soldiers. No one would dare question him, dare question why he was going after uh, David in the wilderness after David had done so much good for Israel and for Saul. Um, no one would, 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 would challenge him and saying, you are acting out of jealousy. You are acting out of envy. 
And we do this sometimes as well. We, we, uh, we make it difficult for people to challenge us. We make it difficult for people to come to us. We, we surround ourselves with people who reiterate what we think or how we feel. And, you know, we see this all the time when someone, uh, you know, has been in conflict with someone else. Then they go to other people. They explain that conflict from their perspective. And what do those other people do? They come, they go, yeah, you're right. I can't believe they would do that. But what they've missed is that that person's explained everything from their perspective. And so what are they going to do? Of course, they're going to take your side. And, and it's easy for us at times to create obstacles for be, people being able to call us out or to challenge us. <clears throat> so Saul's in the middle of these troops, and they're all in a deep sleep from the Lord. And David uses this opportunity to sneak into the camp with, with Abishai, one of his soldiers, <clears throat> And they, um, they, they go right up to, to Saul and they find him right at his head. And this is the point where Abishai actually says, um, look, we can end this right here. I can take your vengeance. I will strike him once and it'll be over. It'll be done. You'll never have to deal with this guy again, right? And he even appealed to the Lord. Look, the Lord has given you, given him into our hands, into your hands. Let's, let's end this right here and right now. How often does that voice come to us when we've been wronged? How many, how many times have we heard ourselves say or a voice say to us, they deserve what they get. You should let them have it. They need to pay for what they did to us, right? It comes to us. And I can, I can tell you though, it's important. That voice is not from the Lord. It's not. It, listen, it is the enemy appealing to our own flesh in that moment. And the reason he does that is think about this for just a moment. If the enemy can enter into a, a situation and cause us to take vengeance on another person, to get a person back for what they've done to us, they have both destroyed that person, right? They've hurt that person through our actions, but they have also hurt us because vengeance will destroy us. It is acting out of hate for someone else. We even have language for how we treat people who wrong us, right? We, we cancel them. We basically treat them like a, like a television show that, that's no longer on the air. Right? They have no longer are, are able to speak into our world. Why did David choose not to act here and instead cho choose mercy? Didn't Saul deserve it? I mean, Saul had thrown a spear at him, had chased him out in the wilderness on one occasion already, had threatened him on multiple occasions. Everyone knew. David's best friend, Jonathan, Saul's son, knew that his father was trying to kill him. Everybody knew that Saul was trying to kill David and had attempted it on multiple occasions. So there's no, there's no sense that, that Saul deserved David's mercy here, right? But that's the point of mercy. That is the point of mercy. It is not based on someone else. It's not based on whether they deserve it. It's not based on an inkling of, of well, there's, there's hope there that they're gonna repent or it is mercy is based on God and who we are in God. We'll see that more later. But David chose not to act out of his own hurts, fears, or anxieties, but act based on faith in God. Three times in verses nine through 11, when Abishai had said, let's kill him, let's get this over with. 
David appeals to the Lord three times in those few verses, appealing to God, uh, uh, God's, God's hand on Saul as anointed king of Israel and God's hand and purpose in, in justice, that God would not let uh, justice fail. How quick are we to give mercy when we're wrong? It's undeserved and it's counterintuitive. But do we look to mercy? The second thing we see here that's important is the strategy of mercy. You see, mercy has a strategy. Mercy's strategy is to create space for repentance and forgiveness because it's trusting in God's judgment. Sometimes the most merciful thing you can do in a moment when you're, when you're in conflict with someone is, is not to press them to own what they've done. It's not to press them to, to repent in that moment. It is mercy sometimes causes us to withdraw, right? So mercy causes us sometimes to step back and to, to, to give space because there's a lot of emotions in that moment. Feelings are hurt. There's wounds. Um, there is anger. There is frustration. And it's sometimes in those moments that pushing for repentance in that immediate moment is the worst thing we can do. So mercy steps back, says, I'm going to create space where we might be able to get to repentance and forgiveness. David didn't act in the moment to pay Saul back, did he? But he took the spear and he left. He took his spear and his jar of water and he left and he created a distance, literally creating space right between him and Saul. Think about it. I mean, you know, as he was standing over Saul, he literally could have woken him up in that moment and said, I could have killed you. Look, I am standing right here. Nothing stopping me. I could have killed you. But instead, David knew that in that moment, that would not lead to righteousness, right? That would not lead to, it would immediately put Saul on the defensive. Oh my gosh, what is this guy? He's standing right over me. Fear, confusion, like there would be a visceral response from Saul and they probably would have just killed David very quickly. Now, David knew that he needed to create this space um, and yet still engage with Saul. So he moved away as an act of safety and wisdom. This was part of the strategy, right? Of, Of giving Saul mercy. And I would say this, sometimes when uh, someone has verbally or emotionally abused you, creating some space there is a good thing. Creating some space, not, not cutting them off, not saying I'm done with you, not canceling them, but creating a little bit of time, a little bit of space um, so that you can be able to engage them. And I would say to remove yourself from a situation where they can easily lash out and hurt you again. So sometimes space is saying, okay, I need to figure out how I can engage with them in a way that, 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 that is safe, that, um, you know, that I'm, I'm going to avoid this uh, situation again. Another part of this strategy of mercy is humility. We've already seen that from David. But how does David address Saul? <laughs> think, think about the last time you were hurt by someone and how you addressed them. They've, they've hurt you. And then, let's face it, this is a pretty deep hurt, right? They, Saul invited David into his home, invited him to palace to play the flute. He had, David had gone out and fought Goliath on behalf of Saul and the Israelites. He had uh, won these, all these battles against the Philistines. And, and there was this relationship. Saul had invited him in and, and there, was this, uh, there was this connection there. And now uh, uh, Saul had, had run him off and was tempting to kill him. How does David respond? How does David speak? to Saul in this moment. 
Well, listen, verses 17 through 20 again. Saul recognized David's voice and said, is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. So even affirming uh, Saul's, Saul's position. And he said, why does my Lord pursue after his servant, after me, his servant? David had been anointed to be king already, remember? He'd been anointed not, not to be immediate king, but that one day he would be king. But he said, I am Saul's servant right now. For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord king hear the words of his servant. Listen, now he's coming to him. He's not, you wronged me. You did this. You, you hurt me. You, you were trying to kill me. What is wrong with you? No, not, 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 not there. Not David. Humility. And listen to how he appeals to the Lord. If it's the Lord who stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. So he's saying, if this is God, if you're pursuing me because God directed you to pursue me, tell me, I need to, to make things right with the Lord, right? So he's, he knows he hasn't done wrong, but he's appealing to that anyway. But if it is man, may they be cursed before the Lord for they've driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord saying, go serve other gods. So in other words, you've driven me out from, from, from Jerusalem. I can't sacrifice. I can't worship the Lord, right? I have been driven out from my heritage, from the worship and the, among the people of God. And if this is a man who's doing this, then, then it's wrong, now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord. In other words, I don't want to die out here in the wilderness. If I'm going to die, I want to die among the people of God, in the city of God, worshiping God. And he goes, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Again, David is, David is striking a tone of humility. Do you think it was easy in this moment? Do you think it was easy for the man who had been anointed king, who had won the greatest victory in, in uh, Israel's history at that point, really, uh, and now was, was, uh, was chased out into the wilderness by this delusional, jealous king, and he engages him by calling himself a flea? It's humility. David told the truth, which is important. He did challenge him. So when you, when you challenge them, when humility does not require, it's not saying don't speak the truth. It's not saying don't say you hurt me. Don't say you, you didn't come after me. You didn't lash out at me. You didn't do this to me. Humility says, um, I am not going to operate out of that. I'm going to choose to come in in humility and give you the greatest opportunity to, to, to uh, repent and seek forgiveness. <clears throat> Think about how often we, how we offer forgiveness to other people, right? We often think if, if they really are sorry, I'll forgive them. If they'll uh, say the right things, if they'll really own this in its fullness, then I'll forgive them. If they'll do X, Y, and Z to make this right, then I'll forgive them. But that's not mercy. That's not humility, Humility creates the, the lowest truthful threshold. Truth, yes, but the tr lowest hu humble truthful threshold for repentance. Not saying that there may not need to be long conversations. Listen, the deeper the hurt, the longer the hurt, the more there needs to be conversations about it. The more there needs to be honest repentance and, and reflection and discussion about that hurt 
so that so that it's clear, so that we're we're talking about the same thing. You know, it's in 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 theory. Um, you know, if I if I lashed out at my wife while uh, you know I was washing the dishes and she said something, and I just kind of lashed out at her and said something. Uh, that's one thing, and 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 I say I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Um, if if I committed adultery on my wife, and I just came to her and said I'm sorry, please forgive me. It's not quite the same, is it? There's a reason to explore that. There's a reason to explore the offense because of the depth and the 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 breadth of that wound. But forgiveness operates in that humility. But forgiveness is not the ultimate game aim of mercy. The ultimate aim, and this will get to our third idea here, is forgiveness leading to reconciliation. So forgiveness is a strategy of mercy leading to reconciliation. If I have hurt Teresa and there's now this barrier between she and I and we're not talking and we're not relating and we're not connecting and there's, there's been this hurt there, then, then me humbling myself and asking for forgiveness and her giving me mercy is not ultimately so that there can just be forgiveness, right? Forgiveness is not the ultimate point. Forgiveness is a means to what? Restoration, to reconciliation. You know, when I'm asking for forgiveness for my wife, I'm not ultimately asking for forgiveness. I'm at, I, I am, I need forgiveness, but I'm, I'm wanting my wife back. I'm wanting that relationship back. I'm wanting the restoration of the fullness that's there. This is the point of mercy. The real aim is not forgiveness. Forgiveness through the, just like through the cross of Christ is a means of reconciling us to God. So mercy pursues forgiveness as a strategy, creating opportunity for forgiveness uh, as a means to restoring the relationship. And there's a cost to it, right? There's a cost to mercy. There's a cost to David humbling himself in this moment. There's a cost to you and I when we choose to not count someone's offense against them, but come in the context of mercy, challenging them with what they've done and, and letting opportunity for forgiveness happen. And it's important though, for true reconciliation, you have to have both sides, right? So forgiveness can be offered, mercy can be offered to another person, but if they are unwilling to engage, if they're unwilling to confess, if they're unwilling to repent, if they're unwilling to receive the truth about what they've said or what they've done or what they've, uh, you know, how they've hurt you, then, then reconciliation is difficult. And sometimes additional conversations need to happen. Important point, though, about this is that for true reconciliation to happen, to get this point of the aim of mercy, forgiveness has to be granted and it has to be put in the past. The event has to be put in the past. You can't continue to drag up the event. You can't continue to drag up what has happened. You can't, every time there's a disagreement uh, in, in your relationship, reach back there, grab that thing that you forgave them of and launch it at them again. Okay, that's not forgiveness. God doesn't look at you and say, hey, what about those things you did last year? You remember 11 years ago when you, I remember that really well. And you, man, you did that thing. What about the 7,142 times that you were unloving last week? You remember that? I know you asked me for forgiveness, but I think we need to talk about that again. I think we need to remember that. God doesn't operate that way with us and mercy does not operate that way with others. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our sins from us. Maybe you're struggling with this right now. You want to have mercy for someone. In theory, right? You're like, I understand. I want to have mercy. I can't have mercy right now. I have no capacity for this. I'm not able to even enter into a sphere where I can think of having mercy towards them. That's, that's I would say that's understandable. God understands our weakness, right? Just because we serve a father who's perfect in mercy doesn't mean we're not gonna struggle to have mercy for others. So be honest about it. I think that's the first step. God, I'm having a real problem trying to forgive this person. I'm having a real problem even wanting to operate towards reconciliation. I'm having a real problem, uh, the idea of even confronting them because I don't even care about them anymore. Mercy, ask for God to stir mercy in your heart. And some of you are struggling because not all earthly relationships will be reconciled. Not all earthly relationships will be brought to peace. The truth is Saul verbally repented, right? Uh, He checked the boxes of, and I think in that moment it was probably sincere, but he had repented before. And David, believe it or not, actually, you know, we, we get a glimpse of what, what's happening late in the next, very next verse of chapter 27. David knew David, that Saul had not genuinely repented. David said to himself, chapter 27, verse one, one day I will die by the hand of Saul. He knew. He knew that while in that moment there were glimpses of repentance and confession, there wasn't full restoration yet because Saul had not let go. Some of you struggle because there may be no hope for an earthly relationship that you have that's unreconciled. And you're like, I want to have mercy. I want to forgive. But, but the, it, it, the, the other person won't even come to the table. The other person won't even engage. The other person won't even talk to me. I can't engage them or they're beyond my ability to connect with. They've cut me off. They've shut me out. And, and we have to accept that sometimes. But here's, here's what's so important about maintaining mercy in your heart. There's two important reasons why God wants you to still operate in mercy. Number one, it leaves the door open for reconciliation someday. You'd never know when God can change someone's heart. And so mercy leaves that door open. And secondly, it keeps you from developing bitterness, right? You know there's been hurt and and it's not saying that hurt doesn't matter anymore. I'm just gonna forget, forget about it. It's not forgetting. It's choosing not to operate out of that anymore. It's choosing not to say that's going to be the, the, the wound I'm going to carry and I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep that on the front burner of my life. It is saying, no, I'm, I'm putting mercy around that thing. I'm protecting my heart from bitterness, which will steal joy from me and from my current relationships. Because I've never met a person who's really bitter towards someone else, unreconciled for years, and that doesn't spill over into other relationships. So operating in mercy in an unreconciled relationship and maybe even unreconcilable relationship is an act of faith in God. So how do we find the strength for this mercy? And we're gonna land just here on the source of mercy. Paul said, or, uh, David says in verse 24, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. You see, David saw the source of his mercy. He was asking for God to have mercy on him and he was looking to God to help him have mer- give mercy to Saul. 
You see, it is the mercy of God flowing to us that leads to the mercy of God flowing through us. Mercy flowing to us flows through us. And there are two Psalms that are actually attributed. And that's the beautiful thing about David's life. And we'll get to some of these later as well. Is there are Psalms often for these moments in David's life. And, the, and, the, and they tell us in the Psalm, the actual heading is in, in, written into the original Hebrew is, is of this situation. And there are two Psalms dedicated to, Saul, to David when he, that David wrote when he was hiding from, the, uh, from Saul in the wilderness. So this exact situation. Do you know how both those Psalms start? It's Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. Listen to these. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Psalm 142, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. David is pleading for mercy from the Lord for himself, that he might be able to show mercy to others. You see, God's mercy comes to us through Christ. It comes to us through Christ once and for all. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no negotiations. It is a settled event that has happened in history. It is God's mercy towards your sin, towards your pride, your selfishness, your lust, your anger, your selfish ambition, towards your uh, unlovingness, towards all the ways and all the moments that you have belittled God, where you've not lived for God's glory. All of those things Christ has extended mercy for, forgiveness, so that we can be reconciled to God. And that's why his people are to be marked by mercy. You see, a people marked by, a people who've experienced mercy are a people who will extend mercy. What if our church, what if Koa was that kind of community? A community where mercy was received by God, from God and celebrated and then extended to those around us. What if that was our community? What if that was how we operated and how people looked in and saw how our relationships functioned? That's a countercultural community. That's what Christ has called us to today. Some of you right now, you need to receive God's mercy. There's sin in your life. There's brokenness in your life. There's rebellion in your life. You maybe have never experienced God's mercy and it's fresh and anew for you today. You can pray and call on him and ask for it. And for those of you that are struggling to extend mercy to someone today, stop and pray. God has mercy for you too. He has mercy to give to you that it might flow through you to that other person. That's our hope. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you that your mercy is new and unchanging every day to us. And I pray that all of us would not let that mercy terminate on us, but would spill it out on those around us. Help, the, help those who are really struggling deeply right now with wounds and hurts and unreconciled relationships. God, I pray you'd meet them where they are in this moment with mercy. In your name we pray, amen.